Welcome to Entrepreneur Conundrum with Virginia Purnell, where growing entrepreneurs share how they get visible online. Hey, everyone. Today, I'm talking with Spencer Hillegoss about how he helps connect individuals with hassle-free investment opportunities. Spencer is the CEO of Madison Investing, a real estate investment club with bespoke curated real estate deals. Spencer founded Madison Investing with a singular mission to help busy, successful professionals invest passively and secure their most valuable asset, time. By partnering with vetted operators, Madison Investing has a $2.3 billion in acquisition with over 20,000 units. Investors now have access to cash-flowing private real estate syndications and funds, allowing them to enjoy passive returns as these businesses thrive. Before starting Madison, Spencer was what some consider a corporate junkie, growing operations and sales teams in five high-growth fintech companies over the span of 13 years. In 2019, five months before the pandemic, Spencer broke free from the golden handcuffs to get a full focus to serving his investment group and growing Madison Investing. Now, as a full-time investor and entrepreneur, he can spend more time with his family and honing his skills on the electric guitar. He is also a member of the Forbes 2022 Council. Welcome, Spencer. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Virginia. Excited to be here. (laughs) I am glad that you are here with us today, and I'm looking forward to you talking a lot because apparently I'm fumbling a bunch. So (laughs) can you tell us a bit about your entrepreneurial journey, kind of like how you got to where you are? Yeah, happy to. And by the way, I mean, as we were chatting about, I think before we hit record, you should have heard me trying to explain a concept to my five-year-old about an hour ago. Uh, (laughs) I'm glad we were not recording that. Uh, So, you know, um, so just feel very fortunate now being a full-time entrepreneur, but as you can attest to, you know, it's a journey. And in 2019, as you mentioned, and thank thank you for the intro, um, that was five months before everyone figured out what COVID-19 was. And I had been doing a side hustle, nights and weekends, I'm more of a morning guy. So I've been doing a labor of love, working grueling hours outside of my pretty demanding day job. Um, I was leading teams in, you know, Silicon Valley tech companies for 13 years. And eventually I realized maybe there's just a different way to do this. Um, There was a couple key ahas, a couple like lighting of the fuse, whatever metaphors you want to use, moments that built up to that. Maybe just me not being able to see my infant son, our firstborn for a couple of weeks because I was going in so early and coming home so late and all those reasons that people talk about the less favorable sides of the corporate world. But I am actually not one of those guys who's going to go and say, you know, you know, condemn the entire W2 lifestyle. There's so many wonderful learnings from that journey. But five months before COVID, decided to pull the ripcord or rip the bandaid off and uh, never really looked back. You know, I didn't plan on that happening five months before a global pandemic. But you know, honestly, I think now uh, Jennifer, who is my better half and my COO, you know, she and I are like in this place, both now having departed from our careers um, by choice, you know, years ago. Uh, and I think that we're so fortunate to be able to help other people in our group be able to make better investing decisions. I mean, just the, it's the stuff I wish I, I could have known if I could go back in time grab myself in my 20s, maybe early 30s by the shoulders figuratively and say, hey, dude, there's a better way to do this. Eventually, you're going to want to be a dad more. You're going to want to spend time with your, you know, serving others more. It's not just all about you. And if I can go back in time, these are the lessons I would impart. And I try to serve our investors in our group as best as I can to do that now with Madison Investing. So, uh, yeah, 
that was a mouthful, but uh, I did I did want to mention I grew up in a real estate household. My dad was an entrepreneur, which is what scared me into being a corporate guy. You know, he had me doing you know all kinds of real estate related tasks when I was a teenager, doing open houses. Wasn't excited to be there at the moment. Would rather be hanging out with my friends. It's not exactly cool to tell your friends when you're in like high school, hey guys, I'm going to go do this like clean out of a fridge at a rental property. And they're thinking about how they can go do their cool internship going into like work at a tech company after they graduate, right? It, you know, these are the conversations I would literally be having going, well, you know, it could be worse, but I really, really don't want to do this entrepreneurship entrepreneurship thing anymore. And so that's what scared me into tech. <laughs> and then flash forward 13 years later, you know, have a family and then realize maybe entrepreneurship is actually a pretty good idea uh, and worth looking at. And, and then here we are today. And in real estate. <laughs> and in real estate. Yeah, it turns out real estate has quite a few merits to it. <laughs> full circle. <laughs> Completely full circle. So who would be your ideal client or avatar for Madison Investing? Yeah, you know, the ideal persona started very organically. And, you know, whether it's avatar or, you know, ideal customer persona, all the different names people put to it. It was really, frankly, defined closely after me with some modifications in, in, in Jennifer's career. I was doing roles that were operationally heavy, you know, and we realized when I was working full time, we started investing in deals and in real estate and these private market things that produce passive income and cash flow. It was stuff that I thought that you had 401ks and that you, you know, for most of my working life, you'd, you turn on auto deposit, you got your checking account, savings account, you do that, and then you're good. And somehow, someday you sail off into the retirement sunset, right? And that was just not the case. Eventually, my eyes were open from that. And I realized if I could go back in time and have more conversations with more colleagues and have them understand the same things that I wish I knew earlier, our avatar ended up being something that was really working in tech. This is how it started. Working in a tech company. The big names that we would both know, like Facebook, Google, Salesforce, I mean, Oracle, SAP, all these different companies that are here in Silicon Valley, new and old. And we got really nerdy about it. I mean, I, I literally did 50 recorded interviews, no, no pitch intended, no product to even sell. We built the interview. I spoke with 50 of these profiles from people that I, I knew from LinkedIn. I knew from my prior network, maybe one degree removed. They weren't just friends and family. And that was so, it was a little scary. You know, it's intimidating to go to a person and say, hey, can I interview about your financial situation, you know, and record it. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but so many people were willing. And that in and of itself was rather inspiring because they took the time. They were so candid. They trusted us with that information and we treated them and we did right by it. You know, so that's how we built our avatar. We just leaned into that and further defined it to say working professional, dual income household, working in a big tech company. They've been maybe eight to 10 years in the workforce. They likely have kids, you know, and then there's some more sub bullets from there, but we got pretty detailed about it. So how do you get in front of them? In front of your ideal client? Yeah, you know, a couple different ways. I think, you know, first and foremost, uh, there are so many incredible resources and groups online, whether it's like subgroups within Facebook, subgroups within you know LinkedIn, social media, and that was a really helpful resource, but then physically going as, as you got to start local sometimes, uh, you know, I was having 
And keep in mind, in the early days, this was before COVID. So it wasn't like no one was masking. None of that stuff happened. I would drive, you know, a, a 45 minutes, you know, in some cases, maybe even an hour, you know, not like not to say that's huge, but it was meaningful to, pa- to pack a few of those into a day to go meet people in person and whenever possible. Um, and sometimes I would also just basically go, you know, ask for the referral, even if it was for the purposes of just doing more of those interviews. So it started local, started organic, then um, very much just went into how do we educate? You know, how, how do you go put, put educational content out there? And that means just doing, uh, you know, written content and like, here's how you go and think about investing this way. And then refining that, providing that like lead magnet style. But we weren't going with some massive net. Entrepreneurs are trying to always build funnels of different sizes for marketing purposes in order to, be, to bring in folks that match that avatar, right? But in our case, it was about niching down and like really, really taking the time to understand We'd rather go and spend more time with that select few investors because we know the referrals will come. And that continues to be the biggest driver for us is referrals from happy investors who then refer other happy investors and that chain has continued. So it's it's, it's pretty surreal when you start having the investor who referred to a, a customer, referred to customer, referred to customer, et cetera. Et cetera. But that's, that's kind of been the two different approaches so far um, is so, some social media I did post on LinkedIn picking LinkedIn specifically for a 900 posts in about three years that I personally wrote. I did not source that. That was all me. That was by choice because that was the closest social network match to the avatar. So some people are like, did you really do that? I'm like, yeah, I, I don't think I have it in me to keep up that pace myself now with the kids being the age they are. That took a lot of coffee, uh, but uh, that was a labor of love and it helps as well on social media, niching down and not going too broad. Yeah. So you found a lot of your business now is more one-on-one type of idea and then referrals? Very much so. Yeah. It's it's kind of remarkable too, because advocacy on behalf of our investing club has come from even the earliest investors still, and they will go inside their own companies. And we haven't asked, you know, we haven't asked them to do this. Occasionally I've started to because I realized the power of it, but they'll go into their tech company, their their firm inside whatever internal chat programs they use. And so many of these companies have internal groups, right? Um, They have internal groups for hobbies, uh, passions, business, education, and financial, and everything financial. Uh, So they have investing, financial stuff. People go in there and they're all talking shop and saying, how do you guys do it? And for some reason, I guess they're having a great experience, but they keep bringing us up. And so we just feel very, very grateful and humbled by by the fact that folks are willing to go out and share their experiences with other people. Yes, so so true. And kudos to you for being able to to have such a good referral base. Hard fought, you know. <laughs> I appreciate that. It is certainly hard fought because you can't really it's not a uh, you know, it's not coin operated. You don't you don't really want it to be, uh, but yeah. it certainly is something that just you have to be patient and all you can do is focus exclusively on the experience of your customer. And in our case, it's investors and maybe make it easy for them to refer sometimes, you know, give, give them simple, simple tools so they can look smart while doing it. Um, but that's, that's the easy part. The hard part is the work. <laughs> <laughs> you had mentioned a couple of times, um, like things that you wish you had known and things that you wish your club, people in your club before they join new. What are some of those? things? 
Oh, my goodness. Um, I know we have limited time, so I will be thoughtful on how I break <laughs> this down. Uh, you know, probably uh, I'll break it down into uh, financial offense and financial defense. You know, that is a concept, you know, I don't know if I can coin that saying that we were the first to use it by any means, but like in our household, we had like an aha moment. You know, we, we really sat there. This is years ago now when Jennifer and I were sitting there going, we are making good income as a household. Most people would look at our situation, you know, own a home in California, working hard, have growing family. And they'd say, oh, they got a good setup. What they didn't see behind the scenes is the hours worked, the stress levels, the unsustainability, all those things, right? I mean, common experiences across the board. And this was before COVID. I mean, accel accelerated now. So the thing I would go back and want to say is just, you know what? There's different ways to approach this. Don't be afraid of talking about the finances. Don't be afraid of embracing and diving into money, thinking that that's going to be somehow um, an act of greed. I, I think that that's an act of empowerment and financial offense and financial defense. What that means is like financial offense, taking hold and leaning in to how do I actually get interested in this stuff? I mean, I was, you know, a punk rock kid playing guitar, playing metal. I didn't care much about business. Flash forward, you know, 20, 30 years later, um, not only do I care about business and I think that the, you know, don't tear it all down, you know, with all that, that silly stuff I would say in my youth, that less educated stuff in my youth. It's more like money is a tool. M money is a tool. Any of us can wield it. The way that we wield it will determine um, whether it's good, good, bad, or otherwise. And financial offense means I can go actually have conversations, not only with Jennifer and I, but even with our kids and now with our investors in a more sophisticated level, of course, about, oh, I don't have to just go park money into a retirement account that I can't see for 30 years. I can do things that actually pay us income to live off of. And that concept blew my mind. <laughs> you know, it sounds so simple, but, it, you know, whether it's buying a rental property we went through we bought a rental property here we still have it you know it pays us a couple hundred bucks a month i don't think we would do that over and over because california is not exactly cheap um, <laughs> but there was a few steps between then and now and there's just different ways to do that if you could make a dollar in income on the defense side is someone sitting there asking well how do i figure out how to keep more of this because i mean i know that we're speaking from different geographies but taxes are pretty universal <laughs> and like there's there's different ways that we can actually make income that we keep more of what we actually work hard to get and those are the conversations i think i would sit down with myself and say hey man just get interested go read some books get into the articles and i think that a lot of us um just speaking from personal experience we get scared by that we get intimidated by that we think it's boring and we think it's for the other and we outsource it when in the end Oh my goodness. It's like the first thing, one of the first things that all of us can embrace and like learn more about, we have to find a reason to do it. And for me, that was being a full-time better dad. And I was like, okay, I can care about this in, in service of being a present better dad. You found your why. That too. Right? <laughs> for your why. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so what's a couple big goals? or a big goal that you're looking to achieve in the next year or two? Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, uh, significantly stepping up the game on two fronts. On the professional front, we want to serve our members with just educating them in a way that we um, are constantly wanting to push on. The example would be uh, uh, the sticker shock of how folks kind of get through that education journey. Like if they're working in a full-time job, 
like one of our avatar style investors that you're you're referencing earlier, like they come in and they're like, oh, this is a lot to learn. And so how do we make it approachable? You know, just like, and that's so much harder than it sounds, right? Any complex topic you could pick out there, financial for sure, it'll put people to sleep immediately. And so how do you humanize it? How do you make it interesting, um, but still add meaningful value, actionable value? So that's kind of the big push, I think, on the educational front, on the professional front. On the personal front, um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs that are out there can speak to this, is that they love the flexibility of their lifestyle. There's higher higher highs, lower lows, more stress, of course, that comes along with moments. But I would say m going mobile with our family, um, you know, being able to go and, for example, stay in, we're going to go stay in Portugal for six weeks this summer um, as a whole family and work and live there with our kids. And so that's going to be a big first. Um, haven't done that before, but I think that that is also uh, challenging ourselves and challenging uh, our assumptions and showing our kids that like you can do big things. It doesn't mean it's always going to be easy, but being able to just branch out and do uh, to see the world a little bit more globally. And, and I think that entrepreneurship enables that. And to have the systems in place too, so that you can better do that. Very much so. Yeah, that's a super good point. I mean, I, I think that the ability to work from anywhere, I mean, not that long ago, that would have been pretty unheard of. But now, like we were joking about just kind of audio video stuff that we typically encounter with working off a laptop, right? And it's really all you need. You need a good Wi-Fi connection and a great laptop, and then you're pretty much good to go, assuming that you've got the basics otherwise. And so that infrastructure of course, there's a few more systems there behind the scenes uh, for anyone doing um, any type of business. And certainly for financial stuff, we've got those infrastructures in place. But yeah, I never would have thought we would have been able to go on the other side of the planet for you know a good chunk of the summer with our kids. And I wouldn't be scared to death about, oh my gosh, how am I supposed to work? How am I going to maintain my sanity? Um, and, and how are we going to be present amidst this amazing experience and not just, uh, you know, ruin the, ruin the opportunity to grow. So you're absolutely right. That's like maintain your sanity with having your kids around all the time or. <laughs> it won't be a hundred percent. We both know that. <laughs> right. <laughs> what is the best advice that you have ever received? Oh my goodness. Find a way to be curious. I think that's the best advice I've ever gotten. Um, and it sounds a little abstract for some, the more technical folks probably, but I'll think that what it really means to me is that curiosity is the root of really thriving in life. You know, like, like whether it's being curious about, let's do the personal or the professional kind of spectrum here real quick. Um, being curious with your spouse about how their day was, you know, being curious from your kids about something that was challenging for them at school, being curious about uh, the relationships of those immediately around you, whether it's your neighbor, your community, otherwise, that's how you build relationships in life, bring that over to business. Anyone can really learn at least some level of most things, as corny as that sounds. I actually believe that. And I read, I mean, in the buildup to going full-time in our business, and pulling the ripcord and doing side hustle to full hustle back in 2019 after years of doing it gruelingly on, on early mornings and nights and weekends. I had read 24 books and uh, subject matter I previously thought was awfully boring. And I had listened to over 400 podcasts just like this one, you know, just trying to digest and understand stuff that really just came down to me starting with this nugget of like, 
why? Like, why am I doing this? Why do I have to get curious about this? And so I, I would just encourage folks without going too long-winded on this to say, find a reason to be curious about something and you'll be surprised how well you will dive into that. And curiosity never killed the cat. No. <laughs> too many times. <laughs> we, we have two cats around here. We don't talk about that stuff. We like those cats. So. <laughs> not going to hurt you to get curious. <laughs> no, they, they really won't. So what's the best advice you think you've ever given? Oh, man. I think if I could go back in time again and, and you know, we always think about what we would do differently, not from a lens of regret, but more from like education, just like trying to think about how we can be better each day. And if I could go back in time, uh, what I would try to impart on my younger, more self-centered self in my 20s, probably, who's like, I want to build a career. Every single person that you work with, every single person who's your colleague, uh, the people around you, that has the potential to be an actual relationship. Now, that doesn't mean you have to go be friends with them. It doesn't mean you have to go and like, you know, to build a business with them, um, do a project to work with them. It does mean though, literally every person there can be on your collective team of sorts, you know, and, and don't view that as a transactional relationship. I look back at like the relationships that I have now with some of the early colleagues in my very first job, one of my best friends I met at my first job. So like, I, I look at why, why did I treat so many other colleagues? Like it was a, uh, it was just, we're all working at the same company. For example, I would go back and say, this is a chance to sit there and truly like acknowledge and listen to what they have to say and just, you know, build a friend, frankly, um, even though, even if you don't ever work with them again or talk to them again, you will meet some folks along the way who will fundamentally open doors for the rest of your life to take a different path. If you approach it the way I did in spurts when I was way too career driven, probably I look back and I'm like, hmm, could have done that differently. You know, that one person, I don't think they would take my phone call and I don't blame them. And so I, I think that would have to be the, the advice I would give is just be open and treat every new relationship, every new colleague and friend as someone that you want to get to know over a long time. And you never know how much that would mean to them in that moment either, right? Completely. Yeah. I mean, you can assume things, but you, you, see, you none of us know. We really don't know. It might mean the world to them. So, that's fun. So do we have time? I don't know how long the story is, but I believe you have a tale of two owners, the failed versus the fruitful. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we have time, if you have the time. Sure. Yeah. I mean, one of the joys of what I get to do now is, you know, a few times a week, I get to hear uh, just not only make, make new connections with owners and entrepreneurs who have been every side of the spectrum of entrepreneurship. We're talking like brand new, just built their, new, their first new business. They're fired up about it. They're like three to six months in um, and they want to figure out, like, should I be investing? Like Spencer, like, should I be investing or investing in my business or elsewhere? Other end of the spectrum, though, Virginia is like the, and we actually ended up building an avatar around this too, honestly, is that entrepreneurs who are so far along in that journey, for all intents and purposes, most entrepreneurs would say they won, right? I mean, they, they built a business of value over a course of years. It's, it's delivering value or a product or a service in some way to people and it's thriving. And so the point where they're able to now go and have these discussions and really conceptualize, like, I'm about to think, I think I can sell this business. I'm, I think I'm both financially and emotionally for some, it's a big deal for a lot of entrepreneurs, but emotionally and financially ready to exit. 
And that's kind of the difference between this tale of two entrepreneurs is not the age of the business. It's that the ones that actually make it to close to the finish line and they can like taste it. <laughs> it, it. I mean, maybe they're even at that finish line. Like they're getting offers from like private equity or like some, some other you know, private investor that wants to buy the business or something. They have a shot to exit that business. And they're sitting there going like, well, did I invest along the way? Did I, did I prepare not to build a business? Do I have the skills to build a business alone? Or do I have the skills to build a business and then do something and manage the money I'm about to get from the business? Because I, they, they think, unfortunately, they have the latter. <laughs> and this is not something I claim to be an expert of all experts in, but I do know enough having talked to enough of them and have invested enough on our end to say those are two fundamentally different skill sets. It is so hard to build a business. And so when they actually get there and build it, that entrepreneur that focused exclusively on that, they're going to be sitting there. And I, I've heard stories of this already firsthand on more in, more money than they've ever had available. Wonderful problem to have. On the other hand, you've got the people who did that. And in the meantime, they also figured out that they should start crafting their financial plan leading up to that over the course of ideally years. And so a windfall can be a blessing when someone knows what to do with it. A windfall can also be kind of like handing someone a financial grenade and <laughs> not to be, not to use too militant of an example, but the stories are just so consistent between those two profiles. It's like, the person that wins, they, they both win in their business, but only one of them is the one that ends up becoming ready because they've been planning, thinking, actively investing, leading up to it so that once they exit, they're going to have a lot of time on their hands and they're going to have way too many skills about how to build a business. They will not have nearly as much confidence and skill about what to do with the money when they get there, though. And so that's the, the, that's, that's the comparison point that I've been seeing more and more. <laughs> so is that why you think that business owners make bad investors is it just that they feel like oh my skill set will carry over absolutely point blank and, and and i think that to add color to that it's not that they make bad investors it's it's also because the same confidence and belief that fueled their passion to solve that business problem and to rally a team together depending on the business, there's so many types who are speaking in broad strokes, of course, but like service business, product driven business, whatever, a person who they have to have that core belief to get through all the peaks and valleys. And if they actually slay the dragon or whatever silly metaphor people want to use against that, they win, they're going to come out with so much momentum and energy to say, okay, now what do I do? All this money, oh, logical next step, dump it into my next business. And that's what happens most of the time. Um, and that does not quite go, unfortunately, the way that I think a lot of people do. So this has become a recurring theme and like it, it we didn't even plan to originally help our investors in a, in a subgroup of our investors of which is growing rapidly talk about this because there's people that are third generation business owners in Georgia or other states across the U S and Texas and otherwise, and they have won, they fought the battle and now they're like, oh, I want to exit. Well, like, well build an off-ramp for yourself is is the key takeaway don't just, don't just jump <laughs> oh, yeah. i mean smooth your own landing <laughs> you know give yourself a chance to be able to actually enjoy all the fruits of your labors and if you want to go grind in a new company that's awesome there's a difference from business reinvestment and then going and managing your own personal stuff 
and that's and that's a light bulb moment for a lot of these guys. Well, thank you. And thanks for being on with us today. Is there anything that we haven't talked about yet that you wanted to share with us? You know, maybe just one uh, quick book recommendation I would share would be uh, my favorite uh, business book. I've gotten immense value from it. This is just like a no fee thing. I'm just, I'm a fan of it. Is Essentialism by Greg McKeown. And I think that that's a powerful book for, for one reason. We all have 24 hours in a day. Oprah, you know, the Pope, President, you and I. Um, the real difference between those that get what they want to get out of life often is their ability to say no. And that book gives you, it gave me five different, I think it was five total phrasing ways of uh, how to say no to people in service of your short-term pushes on your key priorities, you know, and like anyone can sacrifice one, one or two years of maybe fewer coffees with good friends, maybe fewer coffees with that colleague who wants to go or, or happy hours with that colleague. And it's not because you don't want to see them, but man, did I feel like a jerk when I didn't know how to do that the right way. And then I realized, oh, I can go do something pretty special in service of, you know, serving our family and eventually building a business of meaning and value as long as I go out and just start doing it. And that's where most people get stuck. So I just wanted to share that, Virginia, because I think that, that that book helped me and there's no shortage of amazing books out there. But, the, but that one was one that uh, I think really stuck. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for asking. You're welcome. So where can we go to learn more about you and what you do? Yeah, uh, we have a website at madisoninvesting.com. Uh, and uh, we're super proud. We actually just launched also a free passive investing guide. It's the blueprint for passive investors, just a seven part guide. And for folks who are like, what the heck is he talking about? It's, it's, it's very approachable. It's in layman's terms and that's by design because it's what I would have wanted had I gone, gone back in time and been able to figure that out before the 24 books of reading. <laughs> so I don't have to worry about it putting me to sleep is what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again so much. Yeah, thank you for having me on. This is awesome. Well, we'll keep in touch and have a great day. You too. Thank you so much for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe and leave some love through a review. And I'll catch you on the next episode.